Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. On today's episode, we travel to the Pacific Northwest, to the Canadian province of British Columbia, and its capital, the city of Victoria, where I met with the CEO of BC Transit, Aaron Pinkerton. Aaron is CEO and president of a transit system like no other. They serve an area of 360,000 square miles, 40% bigger than the state of Texas. They serve 130 communities there with over 1,100 buses in 81 different transit systems. How do they do it? She'll tell you on today's episode where she also talks about the funding, the structure, their new strategic plan, adding in new long haul service to take over for Greyhound, their new low carbon strategy and a customer focus. Aaron's got a great team that I had a chance to meet with and teach some classes on transit management and tour their operations. They have a wonderful system, a wonderful team and a massive service area. You'll hear all about it on this episode of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. And today I'm excited to be in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, as we start a tour of Canada with one of my favorite CEOs in the world, Aaron Pinkerton. Hi, Paul. Hey, he was president and CEO of BC Transit. And we're excited to be here with you today on a beautiful day in British Columbia. Welcome to the island, yes. Vancouver Island. That's right. I had to come in by seaplane. It was did. amazing. <laughs> so uh, Aaron and I met uh, last year at a conference we were at, and I was talking to her there. I said, I've got to come up and see your operations up there. And so here we are. So why don't you tell us some about your operations? And this is one of the most unique transit systems I've ever mm-hmm. visited. Yeah. And thanks, Paul. Nice yes. to see you as well. Thank you. Um, and for any of the American listeners, I've asked Paul to... Um, do a American translation. translation. (laughs) And so bear with us as we try to do this. So BC Transit, which is British Columbia Transit, is a crown corporation and we're responsible for delivering all of the public transit within our province. And a province is like a state in America, right? And British Columbia is a big province, right? Big province. So for context on British Columbia, we are around uh, 944,000 square kilometers. And so in miles, that would be... Uh, I think that's like 16 thousand miles. No, 364,000 square miles. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. So that, how big is that, like, in compared to something in America? So in the, in America, the state of Texas, we'd be about 40% bigger. Wow. And so it's important to understand when you think about British Columbia, because we are a large, large land area, 27,000 kilometers of coastline. That was my number. That was my cue, 16,000 miles. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, we're a, we're a diverse market spread across a large province, large geographical challenges and opportunities. So for anyone who's never been to British Columbia, we are 75% mountainous and 60 60% is forested. Highly service industry, forest is our industry, forest products. And it, so it means from a public transit point of view, connecting residents across this entire province or state, as you would call it. Yeah, and it's on the west coast of yes. California. You butt up against the Pacific Ocean, we right? We do, Just like we California do indeed. and Washington, yeah. Yeah. So for British Columbia, the... Um, Uh, And for those that know our sister agency in Mm -hmm. Vancouver, Mm -hmm. TransLink runs the Metropolitan of Greater Vancouver, and BC Transit runs everything else. Okay. 
So you two are the two main transit systems? We are, okay. we are. And so from a BC Transit point of view, what makes us unique is we operate in over 130 communities across the province. Wow. Servicing around 2 million people. Okay. So tell us what you actually do there in all those towns and how does that work? Right. So we have lots of numbers here. Let's see if we can get them all right. Okay. <laughs> we run about 81 transit systems. We are uh, only bus, so okay. we're a bus operations. We run conventional and custom. In the States, I believe you call it paratransit. Right, for service for elderly and people yes. with disabilities. Okay. Yeah, we have a mixture of fleet. Um, we're, and when you add it all together, about 1,200 buses, which makes us about the 15th largest in North America from a okay. fleet size. And we run everything from double-deckers. We're very proud of our double-decker fleet here in Victoria. We have uh, heavy-duty. We've got medium-duty. I don't know if you know about what we call in Canada our vicinity bus. So it's a 30 to 35 foot bus that yes. looks just like a big bus, but we've shrunk it down. Yes. We use that to service our lower populace or less demand routes. Okay. And then we have about 360 light duty, which would be used for the paratransit or custom operations. Oh, very good. Yeah. And how are they run? Are they? Do you directly run some of them and outsource some? How does all that work? The answer to everything you're about to ask is always going to be the same. What? It's all mixed. All of the above. <laughs> it's all of the above. <laughs> okay. So we, for example, we run the service in Victoria. Victoria is the second largest transit system in the province, aside from TransLink. We have about 300 buses here, and we run that fully internal. With your own employees? Own employees. We run the entire thing. How many garages do you have? We have three garages here, two for conventional, one for paratransit. Okay. We're just about to build our third garage. And do you outsource paratransit? Here? We do outsource paratransit. Who does that for you? Uh, first... Oh, first, first group. First okay. group, yes. Yeah, very good. And then around the province, our motto is, we'll do whatever it takes to get it done. And so around the province, we contract out but there's a variety of what that means. So we have some local governments run the service for us. So the actual municipality mm. runs the service. For you, like you have a contract Yeah, with we them? have a contract with them. Okay. We have private operators, and those are the big names that you would know, like uh, First Canada or Diversified or Talk Transit. Okay. And then we have 14 or so nonprofits Nonprofit agencies that bid on the service and run it, usually they've started off as, say, a community shuttle or a carpool shuttle or a service provider that wants to get into the business. So okay. however we need to make this model work to get it done, that's how we get it done. You must have a big procurement department to handle <laughs> all those contracts. We are, for lack of better words, experts in contract strategy. Yeah. For any other trans agencies out there wanting to understand how to go to procurement, how to go to market, how to manage your contracts, we've been doing it for a very long time. Yeah. So do you have people that... I don't know what you would call it, but like a regional manager, somebody who says, I'll oversee 10 contracts or something like that? Yes. How does that work? Well, you almost got it perfect. Oh, okay. Regional transit manager. Oh, okay. you got to have the word transit in there. Yes, that makes sense. And so, yeah, they go around, and we actually do it by region because of mm -hmm. our diverse geography. Sure. You know, if you're flying to Prince George, you're only going there once. Okay. And, yeah, they go around, and they work with the operating providers to make sure they're meeting our standards. Wow. And so, you know, and we compare ourselves to Victoria. Yeah. So if you're going to do it in-house, see what you're doing and compare that to what's happening out on your contracted side. So you're, are you setting goals for them for performance standards? Yes. Okay. Yes. And do you hold them accountable, like with liquidated damages or, or are you just like... Paul, we're in Canada. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you say, we, uh, so they apologize and say they'll try to do better? We, we have performance standards in okay. our contracts, and usually right. it's based on you will achieve. Yes. And then you look at, well, whether or not there's going to be a holdback on from your payment. Okay, well, that's we like to call it a holdback. Hold you're, so, you're so polite up here. Yeah. We are very polite. <laughs> Instead of damages. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. that's, that's very interesting. Like I said, I don't know anyone else who's overseen 130 communities. Right. Their own individualized transit systems. Right. And every one of them, I'm sure, has their own unique backgrounds. How did all this happen? How, <laughs> how do you end up having one transit agency oversee 130 communities? Well, back way back in the day, in the 1800s, it okay. was run through rail. Right. And then it moved into our utility company, which in our state is called BC Hydro. Okay. And so it was run basically because it was mostly rail. It started off as an electrical utility function. Oh, yeah. I'm right. sure that's happened it has elsewhere. Happened. Yes, yeah. Then as bus enters the market in 1979, okay. Urban Transit Authority was created to oversee it all. Okay. And so it just kind of evolved from there. And then in 1999, that's when TransLink was separated off and moved into its own agency. TransLink has a different structure. They're run through a different act. Okay. And they have regional transportation authority, whereas we are a transit provider. Okay. And so I know you're going to go probably talk to TransLink. Yes. And so they have a different model. They run the roads, the bridges. They run okay. the entire system. All transportation. Right. Yeah. You don't do that here? Nope. You're just transit. We are just transit. But I'm sure you have a good relationship since you're a crown corporation, which means right. you're part of the government, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so our funding and governance structure makes us, and we want to be, a proud partner to both. Okay. And so the way it works is that the government establishes a board of directors. We have a seven-person board, and the board oversees the operation and delivery of public transit. We report through the Ministry of Transportation. Okay. And so we have our own act, our own legislation, our own mandate. And what comes with that is 50%, and I'm, I'm using easy numbers here, sure, yeah. 50% funding from the province to fund transit. Okay. Now, what creates the partnership model is the other 50% comes from each local government. Oh. So they come into our system. They, they come in with our transit systems. They fund their share through fares or property taxes. And so that t creates this partnership that each system, well, we have shared services. And I love our model because we can buy fleet at, at higher yes, levels. Right. We secure provincial fuel. We partner with TransLink on procurement of vehicles and big items. We have a lot of expertise that we can share across these smaller systems. Sure. But each system becomes unique because you're in a different part of our geography. Right. And so each local government comes to the table with their share of the funding, and then you create that partnership. Do they set their own fares? They do. Okay. So the if it's say the cost of the service is ten dollars, the province pays five. Local governments have to owe five dollars. They can get that from fares. They can get that from property taxes. However, they choose based on their community needs how they do it. And so you have an annual operating budget, and you know what it's going to be, and you tell them, and they right. have to pony up their share. Right. So I, our operating budget's around three hundred fifty million. Okay. And our fare box recovery is about forty percent. Wow. And so we do give guidance. Again, as That's a, really good, by the way. It is good. In yeah. in Canada, we like to we like to hold our fare box higher. Yeah. Like, hold, like like what does it cost to ride here in Victoria? Two dollars and fifty cents and a day passes five bucks. Oh, that's not bad. Right. I mean that's right. close to what the it is. The average in a lot of fare cities. for us is around two dollars and fifty cents. Okay. And so while local governments do set the fares, we give the expert opinion on here's the best price, here's the best rate. Okay. Yeah. Right. 
That's interesting. Yeah. And and then uh, like employee wise. Give us some of the stats. Yeah. So in, in Victoria, where you are on mm-hmm. Vancouver Island, yes. <laughs> we have about 1,000 employees. Okay. And that's a mixture of the Victoria operations as well as the overhead and our staff to run the entire province. And then around the province, through all the contracts, whether it be municipal run, private, or not-for-profit, there's about 1,600 contracted employees. Okay. Very good. And have, talk about you know passengers and on-time performance, that kind of stuff. Right. And so passenger-wise, we hit our, uh, actually, we had 6% growth last year. So we're still growing. That's great. Yeah. And we can talk about ride share and legislation because it's not in our province right now. Okay. So we are uh, getting prepared for what ride share might do to our ridership. But we have had the blessing of it not being here and being able to watch other systems and get prepared for that. So we can talk about that. Okay. But our ridership varies. So, for example, we have in Victoria, our big system, we carry about 115 to 130,000 passengers boardings per day okay and then other systems could be down to right right? like handfuls right if we have um where's my stat there we have 73 systems with less than 25 buses okay and so that is unheard of in terms of and i don't think you would get that anywhere else without a 50 percent funding contribution from the province right so that's like maybe a small fishing town somewhere or something like that yeah we have we have service in towns less than 10,000 people which i don't think many transit agencies do that's right right yeah Wow, yeah. that's something. So, um, and then on paratransit, your custom service. Yes. What do you have there for passenger counts? So we're about two million rides per year. Okay. Four uh, percent of total ridership. It's interesting though when you think about it because, and you and I have talked about this offline mm-hmm. before, is how do you judge the success of a paratransit custom system? Right. Right. Technically, you want to move your riders over to your conventional fixed route system. That's right. But that is your that those are your loyal customers. Those customers have no other options. That's right. And, and the ones so, that need it the most. Right. And yeah. and we're looking. I, I I hear all the time of transit agencies across the country going looking at how do we do on demand or door to door service. And I'm standing here putting my hand up saying we already do it. It's called custom transit. Yeah. And so I I really think that all transit agencies should be looking internal and saying, well, wait a minute. If you want to run an on-demand, you already do it. Right. What are the pros? What are the cons? Right. There, it's expensive. The cost per ride is high. Oh, yeah. Do you um, do you do curb-to-curb service for your custom service now? We do door-to-door. Door-to-door, okay. That's yes. like most cities in America. Right. And so when we look at, and I'm the first to admit that anything we can do to improve first mile, last mile, yeah. underutilized routes, low demand service, we need to be competing with the future technology disruptors. Right. But we already do it. So how do we maybe look at the parallel services? Do you have a custom service running up to someone's door when you have a conventional service doing the same thing? Right. So the travel training, that is a big push in America. Right. Helping people realize, hey, you can use this fixed route. And then uh, you don't have to call in and make a reservation, book a day ahead. Right. Do you have that requirement here where it's like one to seven days in advance or something like that? We don't follow the same uh, ADA yeah. rules. Uh, do you have some kind of law, federal law, that requires you to do this? I mean, we're very, the Accessibility Act through okay. federal level. Yes. Um, as well as just a requirement to look at our level of service. So a couple things is we actually implement, we implemented a couple years ago an eligibility program mm-hmm. where we actually really help not more more than travel training, we bring in physical and cognitive assessments experts to help our customers make the best decision. That's interesting. And so yeah. really trying to push getting customers to the right service. Yes. It's not about 
not putting them on our service. It's right. finding where they should fit the best. The best fit for them. That's and, great. And we have conditional approvals. So you might be hard of seeing at night. Mm -hmm. So we'll put you on our service that gets you where you need to be at night. But during the day, maybe you can take something else. Oh, yeah. And do you have reservations to answer the phone and that kind of we stuff? We do. Okay. And that's the side of our business that the entire industry is working on. Yes. Right? Is a two-week wait acceptable? Is a two-hour window for pickup acceptable? Right. What's the level of care that we need to provide as a transportation industry that's more than just checking the box to say we provide custom service? That is good. That's very interesting. You mentioned the federal government and their role in this agency. You just had a visit from the federal government, we right? Did. Tell us about that. That we just did. happened like last week and when we're recording this. Right, so we did, uh, we were announced with the Prime Minister of Canada and our Premier of British Columbia announced um, about $80 million for 118 new buses. Justin Trudeau, right? Justin Trudeau. Who's your Premier? Uh, John Horgan okay. is our premier of British Columbia. Yeah. And it was a joint announcement because the way our federal funding program works is that the federal contribution is matched by our province. Okay. And so if it's an $80 million program, give or take. Like 100% match? Uh, the locals always have, the local municipality always help as well. Okay. So in this yeah. case, let's just say it's about 30 million feds, 30 million province, okay. 20 million locals. Wow. And that's big for our industry because keeping up with the investment on our fleet and keeping up with, you know, state of good repair, allowing us to replace our, our vehicles, not holding them past their useful life right. is a big, a big news story for us. Um, included Absolutely. in that as well is um, 10 electric. Okay, very good. And I'm sure everyone's buying 10 electric. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But the key is in, in our province is we have a provincial mandate to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. Okay. Mandated, a clean energy BC is what we call it. All right. And so this is not just a pilot for BC Transit. Okay. Buying 10 electric is our, is our, we are now doing it. Yes. This is us saying that we are moving towards a zero emission fleet. Okay. So it's not a pilot. What do you it's, have, the rest of your fleet, like clean diesel, those things? We have... A diesel, but we also have about 130 compressed natural gas. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we, we've been testing the waters on where yeah. we can go. And I think everyone knows that electric vehicles are the future. Yep. Some form of battery electric is the future. There and And... I know that people think it should be easier than it is, but it's not. Right. And we have a lot of work to do to figure out power, transmission, plugging, right. charging. Right. How are we scheduling our systems? Yeah. Does it change? What does it mean for the driver, the operator, the mechanic? Right. And so we're committed, but we're, we're doing this in a logical, well-thought-out process. That's good. And, and then there are the questions of how is that electricity generated? And is it coal plants like it is a lot in America? Right. And so are you really cleaning up the environment? Right. Or, you know, I know in Texas, my friends down there, they're using a lot of the CNG that you mentioned uh, mm -hmm. and, and natural gas because they pump it right out of the ground there. They feel like that's a clean fuel. And then I've got a friend in California, Lawrence Skyver, who's a strong believer in hydrogen fuel. Right. Uh, who's right. saying, you know, Paul, that's... The, so the, I think everyone's looking for the right answer when it comes to a better fueling system. Well, so think yeah. about the model that I said earlier, but we make it work. Yes. Every transit agency has to make it work for them. So we are blessed in a province that produces hydrogen. Oh, really? Or, not hydrogen, oh. sorry. Hydroelectric. Okay. So we produce we produce electricity. We have so much electricity, we sell it. Really? So we Back are... Back onto the we, grid, huh? Right. And so when you look at our natural resources... Yeah, that's what you should Electricity use works for yeah, us. Yeah, that makes sense. And so every agency, I agree with you, you have to look at where it's being produced, how right. it's getting to you, what's the, what's the environmental footprint to even get that technology to you? Yeah. 
Now, do you have unions here that uh, represent your drivers, mechanics, and stuff like that? Yes. Heavily yes. unionized, all, like all out into the little small communities, or are they less so out there? For the bigger systems, they yeah. are unionized. Yeah. Uh, the not-for-profits usually are not, but those are we're talking about the not-for-profits would be uh, an example agency would be someone who's driving the bus at the same time as running the books, right. is oh, taking yeah. the call center, yeah. running the senior is center, cleaning the bus, yeah, is yeah. maintaining the bus. So gotcha, right. those are run at uh, the infancy level of a yes. transit system. And do you have a good relationship there? Is it all working okay? Yes. Good. I mean, we work, we, we Who work. Who do you have up here, ATU or t uh, Unifor. Oh. Unifor is okay. in Victoria, and then we do have ATU as well. Okay, very good. So um, you were mentioning the, the prime minister was here, and he basically was announcing big money for buses. Right. What else you got coming? What's next for you? Yeah, there's uh, our, when I first started at Transit, and we'll, our capital program was $10, $20 million a year. Okay. And right now, with the increase in technology investment and acceleration of infrastructure projects, we're about $1.6 billion over 10 years. Wow. So I don't oh, like you to- have a 10-year plan? We have a 10-year plan. Okay. You could average that out, but you know that yeah. it goes in ebbs right. and flows. Sure. And I think what's happening right now is that not only is there a catch-up for the replacement of the fleet, expansion's at an all-time high. And so you're looking at expanding your vehicles. And then our model, which makes us unique, is that when we have to do, say, build a new maintenance and operations facility, which most transit agencies would only have to do every 30, 40 years, right. because of the number of systems we have, we're building, right now we're building four and that continues in our plan, where we build one, we celebrate wow. the success, we rinse and we repeat. <laughs> we just build, 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 because each system has its own infrastructure renewal. Interesting. And so it's a constant, and but that's a shared services value, is that we, we build and then you do it again and then you do it so again. So in all these communities where you've got transit systems, that's what you're doing? You're going in and building buildings for them? Right. And oh. so you build, well, we own the buses and okay. all the systems, and oh, we right. usually own the operation and maintenance facility. And so our service contract becomes a little bit of a turnkey yeah. to say, here you here's your buses, here's your maintenance facility, okay. you, you run, run our service. Okay. And so right now we're building four of those operation and maintenance facilities. And the, the, the growth just keeps happening. And think about if you were running one transit in one transit company and you right. needed to build a couple uh, transit exchange, like a downtown transit exchange. Yeah. Well, we, we have 59 of those on our books because every city needs a downtown transit exchange. Yeah. Wow. And so, it, but it becomes a little bit of a, it, it, it helps us move stuff. So if we incubate or pilot projects and we get good at it, we can then roll it out across an entire province. So you're kind of like a prime minister yourself overseeing all this. I mean, what is a day, I guess, a better question is, what does a week look like for you overseeing right. such a, you know, a wide span of different operations? I think for me, I like to keep grounded in the fact that you got to let your experts do what they do. Okay. And so I, I am fully comfortable saying our operations team, go run our operations. Okay. Because it comes into like the pillars of any successful business. I focus on our people. Are mm -hmm. we treating our people well? Are the people happy? Do we have the people we need to move forward? Are we running good operations? And are we keeping our customers happy? And then are we building and are we moving forward? Mm -hmm. And so where I like to spend most of my time is at the growth strategy, what are we doing to move forward? Okay. You surround yourself with the people who know to run the, run the business yeah. so that I can focus my time on moving us forward, keeping abreast of conversations that are happening in the world, the industry. Yes. At the same time, I go right down and I read customer comment forms. I ride the system. I for rightly or wrongly monitor our Twitter account. I like to see what happens at a day-to-day -day level. Are you getting out to like 
these communities yourself and seeing what's happening there? As much as you can. Yeah. As much as you can. That's interesting. Wow, Aaron. So how did you end up in this job? (laughs) So you've been here, what? You've worked for BC Transit for seven years? 11 years at BC Transit. Okay, yeah. Yeah. um, So no one ever ends up where they think they're going to end up. That's right, That's the key before any of these conversations. Uh, I think the key, and I've thought about this a lot of like, how did how, I, I never yeah. wanted to be a CEO. It okay. kind of came later on in my career path where I said, Hey, I think I could do this. But as you know, you flew in to our Island. Yes. And when you were born and raised on an Island mm-hmm. and, and I should, you know, point out for the listening audience that we're an Island of a million people. And from point to point, it takes eight hours to drive it. Wow. So this is not a case of like a little Island. Right. Yeah. And so you can live in rate, you can be born, raised and live on this Island without ever leaving it. On the other hand, the only way off this Island is through an airplane or a ferry. Okay. And so I'm, I grew up watching and I'm very curious about public transportation because you are withhold or almost captive market, yeah. especially to the ferries. Okay. And so I, I, I remember now to this day, back in university, you go back and forth to Vancouver all the time. We have three universities on the island, but right. you're, you, know, you go back and forth. Yeah. And I remember it's a, and as any public transit agency, everyone is very, has their own opinion about the service and everyone becomes very loyal, dependent, and therefore very vocal about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember having the reverse effect of BC Ferries. I remember taking the ferry being like, how did they, how do they serve all this food over a 90-minute journey? How do they carry this many cars every day? How are they using a lot of taxpayer money to run an efficient service? And it's it's up and down the entire coast of this province. Wow. And I became intrigued with how does this company work? Mm. And then and then I got an opportunity to get my first job there. Okay. So I had some smatterings of like statistics and public. I love numbers. Yeah. And I had a, I started in and doing statistical analysis. I was like regression and correlation and all that stuff. And a very good boss came to me after a year out of university and said, you need to leave. You have too much personality and too much passion to be in this industry. Out you go. Uh. So I think I got fired. Uh. <laughs> and so I went into BC Ferries and I became really, really passionate about how a public agency is providing a public good for a customer and meeting all those needs. So I spent seven years in my in the first part of my career in public transit, right. but at the ferry but side the of it, yeah. on the boats. Wow. And I was blessed at that job to be part of everything. I helped write a act to change the legislation. I'd look at how we can make money. So how can you make commercial revenue to off pay the expense? How do you replace an asset that's $400 million? That's how much those ferries are. Yes. How do you meet the needs of local communities? Some of our islands are bedroom communities. How do you do all this and keep the company afloat, for lack of better terms. No pun intended. And so seven years, and I became obsessed. I became passionate. I became defensive when people would talk about a public agency like a ferry company, and they could do better. And I'd be like, you should see what happens behind the scenes. And so an opportunity came up to come to BC Transit to run. What did you end up, what was your job? I was the man, at the very end there, I was the manager of planning operations at MIN. So basically doing all of the, the, the planning. How do you get the company running? Yes, okay. And then an opportunity came up to look at should we build light rail in Victoria Hmm. and I was tapped on the shoulder to say why don't you come to BC Transit and figure out how we could run light rail and so I said perfect Hmm. I can switch in public transportation is now in my blood and now I can look at the 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 day-to-day operations of transit and look at light rail. 
And that project in Victoria was was at the cusp of two trains two trains of thought. Okay. We wanted to build bus lanes. We have thrown puns at all right? the place. Right? I can't help it. <laughs> so the conversation was we need to build bus lanes. We need to build dedicated lanes in this city. We have the traffic's at an all-time high. There are no more roads to be built here. We are on an island. Right. We are limited by ocean on either side of us. Okay. We have growing community. Traffic's at an uh, traffic in Victoria is not the same as traffic in a big city, but yeah. every community has their needs. That's right. Yeah. And so the thought was maybe light rail will do the trick. Okay. So come in, run the project. Uh, and that's how I came into BC Transit. But you decided that it didn't need it? Um, I don't know if I decided. <laughs> oh, okay, I yeah. Think, I think the key to any big major infrastructure project is to find out first who's willing to pay for it and how much. There you go. And light rail... And the rubber hits the road, as right? they say. Right? Yeah. Light rail has all of the pros and cons. The yeah. economic development, the land use impacts, the return, a 60, 70, 100-year investment. Mm-hmm. At a time when this community was used to running buses on road. Right. And so we decided to start Baby Steps and okay. build some bus lanes yeah. and prove the value of dedicated frequent. So you have that? We, we are building them. They're almost all the way built out to the West Shore. Oh, nice. And so in timing-wise, that's 10 years later. Wow. So that project, I came into transit, started that, and then just slowly started getting into more of the planning, scheduling, long-range planning, and then eventually became the Vice President of Business Development, and then uh, about a year ago, was tapped on the shoulder to take over as the interim CEO. And uh, in November, was appointed. Hip, hip, hooray. So that's how it all yeah. happens. <laughs> and so you're president and CEO. I am. What does that mean? What's the difference between those jobs? I'm not sure. Oh, okay, yeah. When I was at MTA, <laughs> I was administrator and CEO, right. so probably similar. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's similar to like vice president of operations and COO. Right. Oh, yeah, right. Similar right. titles. Yeah, joined yeah. together. So what's next for you, and and what's next? Do you think are you all ever going to do light rail, or you, or is it just like out there as a what's what's coming next? Let's look at the future. Yeah, I think the. I'm sure you want to stay here for a while, right? Yeah, there's a lot I want to do. Yeah. And I think that's the key when you're moving into any position is like find your passion and you better want to do it. Mm-hmm. And I get up, I literally jump out of bed every day. That's awesome. We are right now looking in our province as how does transit fit in to being part of the solution. So. When I first started at Transit, it was a lot of pushing the string, explaining why transit's important, getting people to make the investment. You're weighing the trade-off between education, health, infrastructure, and transit. I believe the conversation has changed. Hmm. Conversation now is transit can help with the climate emergency. Transit can help with affordability. Transit's helping with people not have to buy cars. And so keeping up with that demand is where we need to figure out how does a transit agency become nimble? Mm. And, you know, how do we become nimble enough to meet those needs? And, And again, I... You and I have talked about this before. How do you measure the success of your transit agency? You figure out what you want it to be and you measure from that. Right. And no two agencies going to be the same. That's right. What's the rideshare thing you said you wanted to talk about? Right. Yeah. So we, uh, the rideshare legislation was just passed. And in September 16th. Like for the country or for, for your British province? Columbia. Okay, British Columbia. Okay. Rideshare is in the rest of, like Toronto has rideshare, okay, for example. Right. And what is that? What is rideshare? So Ubers and Lyfts, it's the ability for a private, a, a public 
member of community yeah. to carry passengers. Okay. All right. And so what that I've watched what's ride sharing doing around the states, what's it doing to the impact on transit. Yeah. And there's it's no cutting ridership right. what it's doing for transit. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind it does two things. One is it has a potential to impact your ridership. Yep. Now I'm the first to admit that if if rideshare wants to steal or take from my late, late, late night service, yeah, you can, you have, can it. have it. Yeah, exactly. Because I would take I would take those dollars any day and yeah. reinvest them back into our system. Right. The other thing that I'm confident on is that fixed route high capacity transit will never fail. Right. There will always be a demand for fixed route high capacity transit. Yep. A rideshare vehicle is. is still in congestion with the rest of the rideshare vehicles. Yep. And so we in the transit industry need to make sure that we focus our investment on where we know we're going to be relevant. There you go. And so what what we have to do as well is then look at, well, where's our competition? When we have a community shuttle going around a smaller community, service every two hours, mm-hmm we're not going to be able to match or right. compete against rideshare. You focus on your strengths, right? Focus on our strengths. Yeah. And then recognize that our customers, their travel experience is going to change and their demand or expectations is going to grow. And so how do we keep up with that and stay relevant? Um, I'm the first to admit that we need to be able to pay for fare with our phone, our app, our yeah. credit card, our debit card. Right. Why can't customers see where their bus is and almost hail it? Yes. Why can't they do yes. the same impact? Why can't they rate their driver when they get off and say, my driver was great? Why can't they have the ability to, um, for example, the ride share? I love the fact that I I can create a family account and I can let my nephew ride and I know where he is and I know he's safe. So how do we take what a private industry is doing and make sure that we're staying relevant in that market? And are you working toward those goals? Yeah, I would say what I'm doing right now Mm -hmm. is we're shifting our culture to look at the customer experience. Mm. And so no decision should be made unless it overlays, what does this do for the customer? That's great. And and I'm I'm the first to admit, I keep telling everyone, this is the customer journey from point A to point B. It is not from when they enter our bus and get off our bus. It is how did they make the decision to get to the bus? How was their walk to the bus? How was the bus stop? How did they plan their trip? How was paying for it? Every single time we make part of that journey difficult, we've lost another rider. And so our our culture has to change to say, it's not just what's in our control, it's what's out of our control as well. And, and so, so you've got to analyze the whole spectrum of mobility. Right. For these, for, for our passengers or potential passengers. Right. And, and I do that. I will go and ride our own system and I will pretend that I'm a customer trying to get from yeah. A to B. And Look at I, the wayfinding, right? Much the to the chagrin of yeah. most of the people here, I will come back and say, okay, let's talk about my entire experience. <laughs> here's where everything went well and here's where we fell short. And if we fall short... That's where we're going to have the impact or potential for other people to steal some of our market. That's interesting. One of the uh, cool things I think about being in public transit right now is that technology is changing the way we provide it. You've just went through and enunciated how we need to use that technology so people can see where the vehicle is, hail it. It's changing faster than almost any other industry outside of medicine around the world. And it sounds like you want to adapt and right. make sure you're using that technology to better serve the customer experience. I've, uh, I think absolutely, and I've heard it before on your, I do listen to your podcast, yes. and I've heard it before, is that technology is not now just being used as a way to say you've achieved something. Technology is actually becoming part of the solution. Oh, and, and I yeah. say that, and I look at our custom service, paratransit, is we in the background of most transit agencies are using paratransit to do dynamic scheduling and routing and moving these vehicles door to door. 
why aren't we giving our customers that information? Why don't we just tell our paratransit customers, here's where your bus is and here's who your driver is and who, here's who's coming to pick you up. Just like you would have if you were using an Uber right. or Lyft. Yeah. And so I think that technology, for the first time in a long time, is allowing us to do things probably cheaper, better, and faster. And I don't think that was the case in the past. No, I think wasn't. you had to find the money and prove that it was a value investment. Right. But it's not the same as paying someone coming onto the bus and paying with their cell phone means that they've brought their own ticket and I didn't need to pay to provide them one. There you go. And so there's the change in our shift and how we could focus on that. Wow. Well, you've got uh, quite an operation here, Aaron Pinkerton, and the uh, the vision and the energy you have, I think, is equal to the task of transporting BC Transit into, uh, you know, not only one of the biggest, but also you're, you are becoming and are, I think, one of the best in the business. So thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. Thanks, Paul. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.